You're listening to a celebration of the best moments in Dory Monson Show history. For more information on the life and career of our friend Dory, please visit MyNorthwest.com. Wait, who's supposed to take it out of the break? You or me? It's your show, Daddy-O. It was like listening to The View coming in here. <laughs> you crying, Ursula, Nicole, all you ladies. Oh, people were texting in like, oh, you know, this is too much of a feel-good show here. Where's the vitriol, rage, Thanks for holding down the fort. What was the uh, the language thing you were teasing? You just wanted an excuse to play his all-time favorite audio. Oh, it's my all-time favorite audio, too. Do you have it? I yeah. have it. Would you like me to okay. play it? Yeah, should we set it's one it of up? our favorite. This is one of our favorite uh, moments. I, ever. I have another example of working with somebody who mangled the language, but they were in broadcasting. And they should have known the language, but <laughs> they, they weren't didn't. football players. No, no. <laughs> but do you want to set up what this was? Yeah, well, we were at the NFC or it was NFC divisional playoff game against uh, against Green Bay, and they had a, just an awesome linebacker named Julian Peterson, mm-hmm. and uh, they started out that game. They were ahead by like what? Was it twenty-one nothing or fourteen yeah, nothing? Yeah, it was just looked like a blow. Fourteen, I think. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, the Packers came back, and uh, and then uh, Julian was interviewed afterwards, and he described what what the game felt like. And Dave Wyman, you were out of control as we were listening to that interview. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you! Look at you! What's wrong with you? Spit it out! <laughs> oh, you, you enjoyed the first. Oh, that was the funniest thing I've heard all year. <laughs> can, can we replay just the very beginning of that interview? Uh, oh, we're None of the rest right of us now. noticed we're, it. You were the only one who noticed. Okay, this. here we go. The very beginning, just for you, Dave. Um, you know, it can, this this is a very emotional game. This can get you every week in, week out. You're going through ups and downs emotionally. Uh, it causes a lot of stress. You can get gallbladders from this. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a okay. lot, man. And, um, <laughs> that just struck you very funny. I thought everybody had a gallbladder. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know you could get one from a stressful situation. Yeah. Sometimes people have theirs removed, and so then, you know, if you ever do have one removed, just come to a game like this, and you might get one. <laughs> oh, God bless you, Julian. I love it. I will say, I, I, I don't, did not know you that well at that point. We, we weren't close friends at that point. And that's the moment where I thought, well, this guy could be kind of fun <laughs> to hang out with. You know, it just it brought me back to in the NFL. There's so many times, and I say this all the time on our show. And I was telling Nicole some of the examples. Like uh, Brock has the one story where the guy came running up to the front to get the trainer. He said, uh, "Yeah, there's a player back there. He's laying, he's laying like cramped over in the fecal position." <laughs> you know, and then there's a guy that pulled his oblique, and he's like, "Yeah, it's hurting right down here in my oblique." You know, so all those words, and then we had another guy named Keith Millard that used to, uh, and Keith was like the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He's the guy I got in a fight with yeah. on the tarmac. Yeah. yeah, so uh that's another story. But, you know, he would always, whenever somebody would say, well, you know, a, 
a player of my caliber, and he go calculator. What? What did you say? You know, and then like when people try to say camaraderie, he'd go common karate. So we started calling like our you know camaraderie nights when we yeah. go out. We call it common karate night. You know, so just there was always somebody. You know, I had a coach that said pathetical and ferocious one time in front of the whole group, yeah. and I would just I would they just burst out players. laughing. They were, they have an excuse. They're football players. Yeah, exactly. I worked with a broadcaster, a supposed professional who used the English language. He was a weekend sports anchor at King 5. And he covered a Ohio State University of Washington game at Husky Stadium. Yeah. And the Washington defense played really well, and he did a stand-up at halftime. The Ohio State quarterback was not going to start the second half. And he goes, yeah, he had such a rough first half, he was regulated to the bench in the second half. <laughs> Instead of relegated. Relegated, yeah. But he left the voice track, and then he just took off to go to dinner, and we got to put it on the air. And so we're all saying, well, do we make him look like a fool? And I go, yeah, let's make him look like a fool. Mm -hmm. Because I was a horrible producer. <laughs> because I thought I should be on the air and not these guys. I see. And so, yeah, we put it on the air that the Ohio State quarterback was regulated to the bench in the second <laughs> half of the game. And that was a broadcast professional. Yeah. Well, you can understand when a linebacker says, and what was he trying to say? Relegated. No, no I mean Julian Peterson instead oh. of gallbladders. I don't know. Uh, bladder stones? I have or no idea. Kidney stones? I will never figure that out. None of those come from stressful situations. Not a game that can give you gallbladder. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. It took me back. You want to hear what happened to me last night? Yeah, you sent the weirdest email. Okay. So the program director and I, they, they gave us an option. Do you want to drive over Monday morning to Ellensburg? Or if you want to come over Sunday night, we'll get you a motel room. Uh -huh. I thought, well, I'll be nice and rested then. So I'll go over Sunday night. So I go over, I get there about 8.30 last night. Uh, our program director, who's only been here for a few months, I said, do you want to go get some dinner? Because mm -hmm. I'm gracious that way. So he and I went and got dinner. And I get back to the hotel about 10 o'clock. Now I have to do show prep for today's show. Mm -hmm. So I sit down and uh, put the laptop on the desk in the hotel room, and I don't want to name the hotel because I, I don't I don't I think don't. it's fair to them. I'm not going to name them. By the way, that jazz great. I think he's, he's going to name <laughs> yeah, it. I knew it. No, 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 no. I'm no, really not. The jazz great Lionel. What was his name? Lionel Richie. No, no, the jazz <laughs> great. I don't know. Don't, don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up, but you, you look keep it up going. See yes. If you find something? Oh, yeah, I found it. I'm surprised at the Tory. It's Hampton. Does I got it. Know. It's Hampton. Okay. Jazz great. And then one other question just popped in my mind. There's a fast food place called mm Blank N Out Burger. Uh huh. What, what's what's oh, the you first mean one? In and Out Burger? In, in, oh. in. That's it. Okay, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking of Hampton and in. Anyway, so I'm at this motel that I'm not going to name. And uh, and I do the show prep till about one thirty, sitting at the desk. And now I got to get up at six thirty to do today morning show prep. Mm -hmm. That was my late night show prep. So I go to the bed. I'm all ready to go nighty night. I pull down the bedspread, <laughs> and what do my eyes see? But a pretty good sized. Drop of blood <laughs> right in the middle of the top sheet. Like how how big? 
Silver dollar? Between a... It looks like a drop, like a... About a nickel. Oh, you sent a picture? Oh, yeah, I got pictures. Oh, believe me, I have pictures. So, now I have a decision to make. I can either just fold the sheet so that it's way, way far away and try to sleep because it's now it's approaching 2 a.m. It's literally, it's 155. Did you try calling the front desk? Well, or I can call the front desk. So I thought, well, is there any way I can sleep? And I'm thinking there's no way. There's no way I can sleep on a blood-soaked bed. So I, I call the front desk. And I tell the woman, there's blood on my bed. And she goes, oh, and she has kind of an English accent. And she's kind of a slow mover. 25 minutes later, I hear a little knock on the door. And she apologizes, and she said, oh, I'm so sorry, I had to help another customer. And I'm thinking, I have blood on my bed. What could another customer's needs possibly be that would be a higher priority than the guy with the bloody bed? At two in the morning. Yes. So so she peels back the bedspread. I, I, I can't even believe this story. Oh, my God. She peels back the bedspread. She changes the sheets. Then she starts to pull the bedspread back over. I'm still sitting at my desk doing stuff on my laptop. And all of a sudden, I hear her go, Oh, there's blood on the bedspread, too. Ew. Well, of course there is. They don't wash those. And she goes, That's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) She says that to me, the customer. And I go, yeah. And I go, did you bring a bedspread? No. And remember, the sheets took 25 minutes because she is kind of a slow mover. And so now I go, well, I need another bedspread. And we got to change out the pillowcases. Do they have a, po- a hide-a-bed? No. Why not just switch rooms? I'm I confused. don't know. Well, I've got my shaving kit in one place. I've got my papers on the table. You I should have switched For all I know, there could have been a murder in this room. That would have taken you five minutes to pack up I know, those things. I know, I should have. I should have. <laughs> I wasn't thinking right. Sorry, I guess Be- not. Before, because I, I have this really precise schedule, Dave. Uh, right 15 minutes before I was going to crawl into bed, mm-hmm. Daddy pops an Ambien. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> By the way, that led to the, my second favorite <laughs> soundbite of yeah, yeah, yeah. post-game no, radio. No, 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 my favorite. Yeah. So... Uh, so, so maybe I'm not thinking. I'm, I'm little. I'm going a little Roseanne Barr in the head now because of the Ambien, and and I didn't think to switch rooms. So now she has to go get a bedspread, and then about twenty. I'm, I'm sending emails to you guys at one fifty five, two twenty six. 237. I'm sending pictures of the bloody sheet. I'm sending pictures of all the bed clothing piled on the floor in the room. Uh, and then she finally comes back, and then I hear her shaking the bedspread to try to spread it out on this king bed. And I hear, you know, that flopping sound when you shake a sheet? Flop, <laughs> And it's still a mess. 
If she's got like half of the bed covered, and she's a front desk person, she's not a housekeeping. She doesn't know how to make the bed. And I go, look, I really have to get to bed. And I get up and I just grab the other two corners. I go, let's just set it on top and let's see what we can do with this here. Because she's a slow mover. Oh uh, man, oh man! Can so I ask what happened? Well, Did you sleep? Did you get then I became convinced, and I went hiking on Saturday. I got really sweaty, and I went sea doing yesterday, and and I, so I'm thinking that's why I had some rash on the back of my thighs. But I'm thinking that some bloodborne disease is the reason why the back of my thighs are burning as I'm laying in this motel at three thirty in the morning. And my alarm, my alarm's about to go off in three hours. I'm not even close to falling asleep. I still got show prep to do. And a drive. And I got to drive back to Seattle on no sleep. That even in the most perfect of conditions, you oh, never would have been able to make geez. in time. I, was, I'm telling you guys, it was... Oh, it was I don't awful. want to see the picture, but describe, like, it, could it have been paint? No. Could it have been ink? No, no. He could it have been a picture of it. Of uh, his remote control sitting next to it, and it's about as big as yeah, one of the buttons. Put the remote control next to it for perspective. Okay, mm-hmm. I think it's just house housekeeping did not I know, and take I don't care of it. Describe. Maybe there was a there. woman who How was... How would you describe that, Dave? The thing is, it Yeah, that's blood. <laughs> what makes me the most nervous is that it doesn't look like that's a blood, sheet right. that's been washed, and it's just stained. It looks fresh. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. So maybe the... Yeah. The housekeeper had a bloody nose or something? Or? I don't oh, know. That's probably it. Yeah. Finger. Sure. I don't, I don't know. But then I'm thinking, what are the odds that it hasn't sunk through to the mattress, and at some point it's going to start seeping back up in oh, the middle of the night through this clean the- bottom sheet? It's a hotel. Everything's on that mattress. Everywhere. Uh, oh. Yeah, what? you don't want to know that. Then the question becomes, why do we ever go to motels? I don't know. What, are, what is wrong with us? There's you, lots of things. I just don't think about it. You just I can't think like about hotels. it. I do too. Am I the only one? No, I love going to hotels. Have you ever but... seen like the Dateline NBC when they walk yes, through with yes, the ultraviolet oh. light mm-hmm. and they put it on the remote? Just take a shower afterward. But here, I'm, I'm wondering. The remote if... has like a Horton Here's a Who village on it. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you get offered a free stay at a future well and then the gal the front desk gal she give you a cookie she assures <laughs> me that management will hear about that because she has to write up the overnight report and she says well the manager will contact you in the morning she'll be here at eight will you still be here and i said well i have to leave for the university at eight fifteen. and i was going to see if the manager contacted me and the manager didn't and so I thought, well, I'll just have a little story to tell on the radio now. But what, what's fair compensation for that? Another stay, another night, a free night. I'd say 20 minutes of radio. Well, if you had paid That's for That's your payoff, pal. <laughs> I believe you were kind of compensated this room. Otherwise, I would say the room should be on. Well, somebody now. else paid for the room. That's what I mean. But, but under normal circumstances, but I, would I say had to suffer the consequences blood. of the blood. Oh, yeah. yeah, usually they put a mint on the pillow. <laughs> Dory gets a drop of blood. Wow. Okay, I'm sorry to yap on and on, but I was traumatized. And... Oh, thanks. Uh, you too. Nice. Yeah, but it's the song. Nice. Thematic.
What? It's thematic. What is it? What's the song? What day did I check oh, into bloody, this hotel? Bloody Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Sean DeTore. Once again. Genius. And that is a rambling, pointless, fastest 15. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate some of our favorite moments from the Dory Monson Show. Please enjoy the celebration of the life and career of Dory Monson. You're listening to the best of the Dory Monson Show. We don't like replaying stuff we did earlier in the show. It's pretty rare when we do that. But I had the rarest of opportunities. One of the only radio interviews that Paul Allen ever did was on our show. And I want to replay it for you. We played it at noon today. And I want to replay it for you coming up in just a few minutes here. So uh, if you did not have a chance to hear it the first time around, the time I got to sit down with Paul Allen, I wonder if he listened to our pre- and post-game shows when he would go to the games. I hope he did. I hope yeah, he enjoyed kind of a Yeah, it's a cool thing to think about. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mentioned to you at the beginning of the show that so many – you know, when see and we talked to him in this interview, people are going to hear it. the Seahawks were gone to Los Angeles. They the moving there, and I tell you that Ken Baring, I I've told you my story with him, right? I believe so, but it's probably w- worth repeating. I was covering the Seahawks for Q13, and Ken Baring was trying to get a new stadium. He either wanted, uh, I mean, what he really wanted was a major remodel of the Kingdom, which I think would have been a disaster. And, and so, it was a pit. So, uh, and his son David was the team president, and so I arranged to do a one-on-one with David Baring, and, and they escorted me into a conference room at the Seahawks headquarters in Kirkland, and I've got my Q13 photographer with me, mm-hmm. and uh, and sitting right next to the conference table where we're doing the interview are kind of the schematics and the drawings for the stadium that they wanted to get built. And they're, they're sitting right there. So we you know, took some shots of that before the interview, and I included that in the story. And Ken Baring banned me from the Seahawks facility. Really? Yeah. He said that I was not allowed to set foot. Or maybe it was David Baring. I think it was David, team president. I was not allowed to set foot in the Seahawks facility. Because I had violated some trust. It was sitting right next to the conference table. And you were were spilling the beans like, oh. No, they'd been talking. I mean, I talked to him about the stadium they wanted to build. And so I had some, you know, cover video Mm. as he's talking. And I'm showing some of these pictures. And my my dear friend, Gary Wright, who Mm -hmm. uh, the press box at CenturyLink Field is the Gary Wright press box. And Gary Wright's one of those guys who, when I was an 18-year-old intern for an Everett radio station mm-hmm. when I had a Cairo talk show and was doing Seahawks pre and post treated me the exact same. Right. The, wherever, whatever station I was at in life. Which basically with respect. Yes. And he, uh, he saved me from the bearings moved is, you know, people actually trying to block the moving van. I mean, where you can see yeah, there were like five guys yeah. standing in front of this huge cab. Yes. Yeah. Like they're going to be able to stop it. Yeah, it was it was crazy. So, uh, and Gary Wright, the Seahawk vice president, who had several interactions with Paul Allen, he's going to join us in just a couple minutes here as well. But uh, let me start with this big lead exclusive. The big lead, Dory Monson show exclusive. 
And that is uh, when the Seahawks made the Super Bowl back at the end of the 2005 season, February 2006, in Detroit. And I'm pretty sure it was Gary Wright who made this happen. Paul Allen, who never did interviews, he came and sat down with me on our show a couple of days before the Super Bowl. And it was one of the one of the rarest of thrills on my show or in, in my career. And he, I talked to him about saving the team in Seattle. Here was my Super Bowl interview with Paul Allen. Talk about this week. I mean, this is this has to be something else for you to be uh, part of the Super Bowl week with your team. It's just amazing. Um, the people out here in Detroit have been so welcoming. Uh, today I was fortunate to go out to... Uh, practice and watch the team prepare and um it's the last full practice uh, we have a i think a run through tomorrow and the team photo tomorrow um but just how focused the guys are out there um just that quiet confidence that they have um which is great talking to some of the coaching staff and uh and it's going to be exciting on sunday and i don't know if everyone in the northwest will probably be watching one of the things you were uh you were talking about with me was growing up Going to Husky Stadium, wanting to to feel that kind of uh, sentiment surrounding a team. At noon today, we carried live the uh, rally in Westlake Center, and and uh, the city is is feeling that passion now. You know that that's been one of the incredibly heartwarming things about this year for for me is just to see all the Seahawks fans have been patiently waiting uh, for years for for a, for a season like this and to have it uh, have it really happen and to be here in the Super Bowl I think you know I'm still pinching myself this week I'm sure a lot of the fans are out there too but just to see all that community support see all the blue everywhere uh, the 12s that have appeared uh, all over the city uh, the rallies that have taken place um, it's just it's just it's just wonderful everyone thought of you as a basketball guy uh, is, is football is football replace basketball as a passion has it equaled basketball as a passion for you um you know obviously i think the first one i would make is that you know i went to, to to football games as a kid uh i think before i ever went to a basketball game and and uh i became a, a big nba fan when the section and the sonics won the championship uh back in the late 70s and uh when, I, when we first moved microsoft up to seattle uh, from albuquerque um but uh, they're 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 you know obviously in, in basketball you have a lot more games and in football these these especially these playoff games are so intense because it's one game up or down you either either uh, keep going in the playoffs uh, or in, in this case at this last game advanced to the Super Bowl so the games are are incredibly intense and it's just and there's nothing like the Super Bowl in in, in sports in the U S it's just it's the, it's the pinnacle of of, of pre, uh, press coverage uh, fan enthusiasm and all that so it's just amazing to be here with the team. We're talking with Seahawks owner Paul Allen, who's joining us live here in Detroit. Uh, what I've said about the Super Bowl, Paul, and I, I'm sure you're feeling some of this now, it is like a laser beam of energy that's folks. There is all of this buildup and anticipation, and once that ball is kicked on Sunday, it is going to unleash this this torrent of pent-up anticipation and energy. And as you just said, there really isn't uh, too much like this in the American landscape. Yeah, and some of the you know the coaches were even mentioning today that you know the practices this this week you know as the week has worn on have been a little extra intense. I think you know every, the players certainly feel that. I think if you're involved with 
team management, everybody everybody feels that energy and, and the attention that the whole country brings to this game. And this is a country-wide event, and people around the world follow the game, too. So uh, it's something everybody should just savor and enjoy. And, boy, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, that kickoff. I wish I wish it was kickoff. Uh, <laughs> I wish kickoff was right around the corner, actually. We're, we're doing the countdown. It's about 49 hours plus now, and, and we're eager for that countdown. Are you enjoying this? I, I mean, I, it was obvious the emotion that you exhibited when you raised the 12th man flag at that NFC championship game. Uh, do you enjoy the the other things that surrounded, like sitting down with me right now? Because everyone thought of you as somebody who, who didn't like doing interviews. What, why have you chosen to embrace this aspect? Well, I think you know this is such a special year, and I and I think uh, people do want to hear from from the team owner what it's like to to, to be involved with the franchise and, and helping the franchise succeed, and what a special year this has been. And and it was just great to be up there raising the 12th man flag and hear you know the thank yous and the fan support for all you you know you you, you put a lot of hard work in, into getting your franchise to the point we are this year, and and it's just very rewarding to to hear the positive fan support for what you've you know been trying to accomplish and for the franchise and just to hear the roar of the crowd in Quest Field, you know, at kickoff and, and then just the celebration when the game was over, uh, how amazing... Uh how amazing that was, and, and I just uh, I'm just very hopeful on, on Sunday, uh, you know, and then Monday when we come back to Seattle, uh, we'll have something even greater. Uh, I think two days ago was the 10 year anniversary of when the moving vans packed up for for Anaheim. Uh, were you brought into this reluctantly uh, to, into the ownership? And, and talk a little bit since that marked that anniversary, that 10 year anniversary. Just talk a little bit about the genesis of of you with this team. That was a situation where. Obviously, uh, you know I wasn't the owner of the, the team at that point, and and the team, uh, the, the previous owner, Mr. Baring, uh, was in the process of, of moving, trying to move the team to I think it was Anaheim, and and some civic leaders came to me and said, uh, you know, the league has basically told us they're, you know, they don't want the, the move to happen, we don't want it to happen. Would you consider being the owner? And and anytime you think about owning a professional sports franchise, it's a real commitment of time, energy, and enthusiasm. I already owned one, and I thought. No, no. I, you know, I've, I've, I also at that point I had enjoyed some Seahawks football, and I, I thought, God, it'd be great to be, you know, be able to help the, the franchise succeed in Seattle. So, so, uh, you know, I, I got excited about it, but then I knew we needed a new facility to really make the economics work, and we were able to have a public referendum on that. Uh, and got approval for that by a very thin margin, if anybody remembers, uh, I think it was half a percent or less. Um, and we had a big celebration when that happened. So it's been, a, it's been, you know, it's been, in one way it seems a long time ago, 10 years ago, but in another way it doesn't seem that long ago that, that we were just, we just had the vote to approve uh, the, the Quest Field. Yeah, and, and Quest Field has played such a, a huge role in, uh, in, in this team's success. Now we're on the road. We're uh, in a stadium where there are going to be more Steeler fans than Seahawk fans. Uh, what do you? What's that going to be like for you now? Well, that's the rumor. There's going to be more more uh, Steelers fans. Although I hear a lot of a lot of the uh, independent fans saying that you know that actually they're going to root for the when the game starts they're going to root for the Seahawks. There so we go. So it's uh, and, and I don't I don't think anybody should un underestimate the loudness of the Seahawks fans that are going to be there. So <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see that unfold. Paul, it's a pleasure. I'm glad to finally meet you in person. I've enjoyed uh, the couple opportunities we've had to have you on the show. All right, Dory. Okay, thank okay, you so thank much. You. The owner of the Seattle Seahawks, Paul Allen, joining us. What an, what an honor for me that was. I, mean, I cannot tell you. You told me when I was a kid growing up in Ballard that I'd uh, do interviews like that someday. That was, that was crazy, and it was 
especially now with his passing. It was just very special. Celebrating the life and career of Dory Monson. You're listening to the very best of the Dory Monson Show. You're listening to a celebration of the best moments in Dory Monson's show history. For more information on the life and career of our dear friend, Dory, please visit MyNorthwest.com. And I think there's going to be a long, long time. Touchdown brings me around and get to find. I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, as I said, my heroes were always people who just persevere in life and provide, but they also experience those those highs and those lows, and they take great risks, and they experience great accomplishments. Those are my heroes. A couple of years ago, when we were right in the depths of the stay-at-home, shutdown, I think all of us were flatlining a little bit. We weren't getting out much. We weren't with the people who made us laugh and made us experience joy. And we weren't, I mean, there was a lot of sorrow a couple of years ago because we lost way too many people to this pandemic. But I think for the most part, people were just kind of living life on an even keel. And we all hated it. We hated it. Because we collectively started to realize there's no way to live. Where every day is the same. Every day was the same a couple of years ago. And somehow in talking about that a couple of years ago, I somehow started talking about our greatest generation, whom we are losing so many of on a on a daily basis. But I'm talking about the men, and they were primarily young men who had a mission 80 years ago to save the world in a very literal sense. It was their mission to go save the world from Hitler and from tyranny. And as I was talking about on the air, I got a a message from a woman who listens to the show. And she said, oh, you should talk to my dad. He has stories, and he's a really good storyteller. 
And she told me that her dad was a World War II combat vet. That's when we began every, you know, six weeks or so for the last couple of years visiting with my hero. I didn't know he was my hero the first time we visited at first. I figured it out just uh, about 60 seconds into the conversation when I heard this man who was still so funny, so full of life, such a great storyteller, and was able to take you and me into the, the battlefield with him. And he explained, it's been almost 80 years, Phil. Why do you still get so emotional 80 years later? I don't know. I don't know. I I feel that uh, I, I shouldn't be here. Um, I, I was too lucky. Uh, 195 days of combat, somebody shooting a rifle or a pistol or artillery shells uh, at me, personally at me. And I figured if I could live through the first first day of, of engagement of the enemy, um, I'm going to make it through. No question about it. But um, that's the kind of guy I am. I, um, I, I can uh, get weepy at uh, thinking about uh, my youth, for example. Just, just uh, I'm a soft-hearted guy. My hero. Phil, I'm sorry. Nah, I'm not going to apologize. I was thinking maybe I should pre-tape my opening segment because I know this is going to be tough. But you're just going to have to put up with me. So Phil graduated from Seattle's Garfield High School in 1943. He was a Seattle All-City track champion. He was one of the fastest kids in Seattle. He was growing up on the streets in what's now the Central District. I guess it was then, too, right around Garfield. And right after graduating from Garfield, Phil gets a letter. He's been drafted. And he had to go off to basic training, and then within... Just a few weeks or months, he was off to to Europe to save the world, along with many other American and Allied men. They're going to go save the world from from Adolf Hitler. I mean, think about that. Think about this this kid, an athlete, fastest kid in Seattle, and living a pretty good life, but. They were vaguely aware, growing up at Garfield High School, of the horrors of war. By 1943, when they graduated, they were aware of the horrors of war. But they weren't afraid of the horrors of war. In fact, they were ready, because there was a selflessness. They were ready, if called, to go and fight. Fight for this country, fight for freedom, fight for survival of mankind. And we got word right before going on the air that Phil passed away last night. And I'm not really crying 
with sorrow. I am so honored. I am so filled with joy that I got to know this great man to be my age and to finally figure out and meet your hero. What a blessing. You know, I never take this gig for granted, but what an absolute blessing that has been for me. I don't believe that too much is a coincidence in life. I think that things happen for a reason. And him being able to share his stories was just one of the greatest blessings of my life and one of the greatest joys of all the years that I've been doing this. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate some of our favorite moments from The Dory Monson Show. Even though you look so sure as I was watching you